Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Brandon here, as always, joined by Nick and Dan. Uh, gentlemen, proper match review today. Proper because we've got Marco Gate 17 on the pod. What is going on, Marco? Uh, I'm still happy. I'm still happy. <laughs> 27 hours later. <laughs> Which yeah. it was an early kickoff, so you really had to, you know, keep this momentum going. I know, I know, Nick, you still have a smile on your face, which as of a week ago, was not the case. That was not. No. If you listen, <laughs> you listen to our Manchester United review, t- the tone of today's show, Dan, will be uh, far different, maybe even bordering on joyful. Yeah, it's the exact inverse. It, we took a negative, and it is now a plus-plus positive. So this is going to be a very joyous and raucous time, especially when you can get Marco on after <laughs> what, what I'm sure were just some pretty mild celebrations afterwards uh, post-match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you what, um, as usual, we, we do have a theme of this match. Nick, interestingly enough, you went with... Well, this is a Dan one, so I'm going to let Dan go through and, and comment on his on his theme here. Well, I, you know, we, we made a lot of changes to this lineup today, different tactics, and uh, brought some people in from the cold. So I think my theme was the sum of our parts, because I think our parts were able to put together a wonderful result. I like that. All right. Well, I think with that being said, uh, we are going to cover 
along with that. Frank Lampard's trust in two of our veteran players that paid off today and out for some, right, Marco? You know what I'm saying? Uh, the dirty work <laughs> done by another two players that's going to keep Spurs supporters up at night. And yes, we'll reserve a little time for VAR too because seriously, it's shocking. So, but before we get into all that, Tony Rudiger with a surprising tweet to me post match, Nick, that I didn't see coming. But to be fair, I'm not really involved in his personal life. Yeah, nor am I, Brandon. Um, Tony became a father yesterday. He tweeted out a picture of his son grabbing his his wife's finger. Uh, you know, super touching uh, photo and moment. And it, it also just puts Dan into perspective that he played a full 90 at, you know, the highest rate possible yesterday and just had a casual thing to do uh, earlier in the week. So, I mean, it's just, it's wild what some of these guys go through. I'm just surprised he didn't do the baby rocking or the ball in the belly celebration after he scored the goal. I mean, that's, that's typically what you do when you're come on, a father. Except come, come on, ded- dedicate his own goal to his new baby. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. That's, that's just loyalty right there. No matter what ups and downs. Uh, so yeah, huge congratulations to Tony Rudiger, uh, becoming a father for the first time. I'm sure that is just an incredibly special moment. Um, but, you know, when you bring Marco onto the pod, every time we get to see him or talk to him, we always say, hey, what's going on with Gate 17 Publishing? What's what's coming out? What's on the uh, release schedule? And it sounds like perfect timing. Yet again, you've got more stuff recently released and upcoming. Yeah. So still riding the crest of the wave of um, the Liquidator book, which mm-hmm. is the, the memoir set in 6970. So kind of reliving the um, each each game on the way to the 1970 FA Cup final and hopefully Chelsea will mirror that. Um, so, yeah, having a lot of fun with that book. There's a couple of um, events uh, planned with some of the players who played in that um, Cup final um, scheduled for April, so that'll be good fun. And then um, I don't know if anybody out there read the the, the, the two books I did about um, Conte's two seasons as Chelsea manager. So the, the, there's a book in the works um, about this season, which, which is um, already quite detailed. So uh, <laughs> it's always it's always good to write. So there's nothing short, no material, um, no shortage of material to. Uh, keep this book rolling along, along and who knows uh, quite how it's going to end up. Um, but I think everybody after yesterday is in uh, a rocking mood and that's reflected in uh, the latest chapter that I wrote. Um, yeah, so yeah, we've got uh, there's a, a couple of, an interesting book about the 90s Chelsea that uh, a guy called Chris Wright um, who some of you might follow on Twitter, is is uh, putting together for us. So that'll be published at the start of the next season. And so it goes on. The, the uh, Gate 17 library shelves are getting stacked full. Love, love, love it. We'll be sure to chat with you when that season anthology comes out. Uh, and hopefully in person this summer, if all things go well. Yeah, but- haven't heard anything. I think they're waiting to see if Pulisic is fit before committing to play in the USA. If he's not fit by then, we've got bigger problems. (laughs) (laughs) So, Dan, two iTunes reviews. I feel like it's been a while. I feel like we've been on a... a It has. 
winter break, a little bit of you know, rotation in our podcast format because we've had a couple of specials. So, you know, but want to shout out some heroes, some five-star heroes leaving wonderful reviews on Apple Podcasts for us. We had AN8, we had Shane Holcomb, both leaving wonderful reviews. And if you'd like a shout out at the beginning of the next podcast we record, which will be the Byron Munich recap, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts now so we can hook you up with a, a little thank you. And a massive shout out to Michael for breaking the Patreon streak. So we have these started again, everyone. All right, let's get back on it. Uh, Discord is booming. Remember, we're giving away badges and stickers if you jump on Discord. So uh, some very cool stuff, minus the fact that you get to hang out with a, an amazing community uh, and chatting about all things Chelsea and just FIFA and off topic. It's great. It is It is great. Dan even started talking about XFL yesterday for some reason. I mean. Well, it's because I went to the game. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I said. to watch the w- Seattle Dragons lose. <laughs> a, w- a wide variety. Uh, but Nick, goody time. That's right. Uh, you guys know that we're doing the three retro contests. We will be uh, announcing the winners. Uh, so there will be two winners of a retro kit on the three retro site uh, after the uh, Bayern Munich uh, match review. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, we have asked uh, you to let us know on Instagram or Twitter. You can find those posts uh, on our feeds. Uh, which Chelsea shirt you wish that they would bring back as like a throwback, kind of like they did with the FA Cup shirt uh, earlier this year. So um, go ahead, comment, tag a friend, follow the rules on there. It's a U.S.-only contest for this one, but um, we're, we're likely going to do some more stuff with them. And then we'll, we'll also be uh, resuming our partnership with Talisman next month. So... Lots of goodies in the works, but really, really pumped about the the retro shirts. Marco, do you have a favorite retro kit you wish Chelsea would bring back? Um, I think Nick's wearing it. Yeah, the eighty four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good without right. without any shadow of a doubt. I know. I know they kind of made a half hearted attempt at it a couple of seasons back, didn't they? There was kind of a two tone um, affair, but it, but you know they they could just do this one. It's not mm-hmm. hard. It, right. It, I love it. That's, that's the shirt for me. All right. Well, check it out. The 84 home kit. Uh, all right. So, look, match review time. Tottenham Hotspur in the Premier League at the Bridge this past Saturday, the 22nd of February. Chelsea 2, Spurs nil. I'm just False. kidding. They got one. But, hey, it was our goal, so we're claiming them all. Chelsea all right? 3, Tottenham three. nil. Yeah, we're going to claim them all. I, I it's, it's just one of those things as a goalkeeper, I, I always forget when goals go in. You know, just out of the mind. Uh, Dan, <laughs> run us through the starting lineup. As you alluded to earlier, not what anyone probably predicted. No, Kepa still out on the streets or on the well. bench. Willie Calviero starts between the sticks. We start with a back three. That's right, Azpilicueta, Andreas Christensen, the masked man, the Zorro in the middle, Antonio Rudiger, new father, on the other side of him. We had Reese James and Alonso on the wings. Yes, wingbacks are back in style. Jorginho and Kovacic in the center there. And a front three of Mason Mount, Ross Barkley, and Olivier Giroud. So that was a wonderful kind of setup there. No, this was not a preseason lineup, Brandon. This mm-hmm. was a, a real live Premier League lineup. So a bit surprising. I know, uh, you know, this lines up against a very defensive 5-4-1, which can obviously have shift into a 3-4-3 however they want it to. Uh, Marco, lineups came out 
What was your initial reaction? What odds can I get on Marcus Alonso to score against Tom? <laughs> What'd you get? Because that is what he does. Every time. They boo they love booing. I him. literally I got on it before they had a chance to change the odds. So I got it at nine to one anytime Ooh. goals. Oh, How good. beautiful is that? I also backed Giroud to score, so it was uh um, what was the odd on Giroud to score in the game? Uh, he was uh, two and a half to one. So, okay. yeah. yeah. But, I mean, it, uh, betting aside, I, I just, I don't know. It's kind of, when it comes to Tottenham Hotspur this season, it's, it's I don't know, it's stating the obvious, but if we played them every week, we'd be in line for the quadruple. But, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, you know, I don't know. It's clearly deeply ingrained in Frankie's psyche to, um, do anything at all possible and find to find a way to beat Tottenham. Um, you know, and tactically he was spot on as he was in December. Um, you know, kind of with the, with the same with the same game plan. I think from a from a you know from a surprise point of view, I was quite surprised that Caballero kept his place. I, th- I think that really is. Um, that's a pretty damning statement now uh, on, on as far as Kepper is concerned. I mean, I, I've no idea whether how he'll view the, the game with Bayern on, um, on Tuesday, but I don't know. It's almost like a role reversal. I mean, will, will we see Kepper again against Liverpool in the FA Cup? Um, it's interesting. And then kind of the, 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 the shift to three at the back, the injury to Kante kind of, I guess that kind of made life a little easier in a way for Frank in terms of uh, what he did with his midfield. Um, but yeah, the return of Alonso, uh, Ross Barkley coming in, Giroud, you know, it's interesting. And, and Christensen with the mask as well, playing off with his broken nose. You know, for me, those, I mean, Alonso, Barkley and Giroud really played well, I thought, yesterday. Um, I'm stating the obvious with Alonso and Giroud, but, you know, you kind of, that team really gelled yesterday. The, the commitment was there that was a bit haphazard uh, against United. Um, I just thought, it, you know, he set it out, he clearly thought about it, everybody had a job to do. Um, you know, there were a few, I guess I wasn't watching what was going on online. Um, but the, the, the chats on the street before the game were, yeah, he knows what he's doing here, Frank. So that's it. Fine. Um, let, let, let's do this. Uh, I, I guess online, there may have been a few dissenting voices at the site of, Alonso and Barkley on the team sheet and, and poor Mason Mount as well, who's been getting pelters. Um, but yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was really confident when I saw the team. Um, I just thought, yeah, sometimes you just have a feeling that thing, everything's going to come together. And um, yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was a good feeling from the start and it continued throughout the afternoon. Yeah. Like, I think the N'Golo Kante thing, Nick, opened this up. I, you know, it's because it's like, if you have N'Golo Kante, you're probably playing three in the middle and that forces some of these other things. So I, you know, I don't know. If, I will never say losing N'Golo Kante is lucky, 
but being able to have no concerns about playing the wingback style and our ability to press the hell out of Tottenham, I mean, that was a huge, huge uh, change for Frank. Yeah, I mean, you think about the trust that Frank put in Mason Mount, Ross Barkley, Alonzo, Christensen coming back from injury, Caballero, uh, you know, over William, Pedro, you know, Tammy, you know, uh, I think obviously injuries have, have helped, uh, kind of paint this picture for Frank, but it's a huge match. It's, it's a, you know, a top four, six pointer. Frank had to get this right. And I, you know, given how great, and I think it was our best performance of the season, uh, was against Spurs at their, uh, at their place. How well the three four three worked, Dan. It, it was it was a little surprising that he went back to the well yesterday on it, but given our player selection problems, he almost was forced into this formation. Uh, and and look, Mourinho had scouts on the inside, you know, so he knew the lineup beforehand. He knew we were going to do five at the back. So, I, I mean, maybe just looking, Brandon, at some of the the overall stats here, not to steal your thunder. The, we had the seventeen shots to their five, seven shots on target to their three actually had shading it 49% of the possession to their 51 551 so passes odd. to their 572 both teams at 82% pass accuracy both teams at 14 fouls we had one yellow card to their two zero red cards to their one I'm I, actually wait I'm sorry we're going to correct mm. that there VAR has uh, determined that I made a mistake it's zero red <laughs> cards one offside to their zero and three corners to their five baffling we'll get into that later you're going to have to pump the brakes. Uh, but if you look at expected goals, this time from InfoGoal on Twitter saying Chelsea had a 1.7 to Tottenham's 0.34. And their commentary, not ours, says the late own goal proves to be nothing more than a consolation and a very poor Spurs performance. Chelsea earn a fully deserved three points. And you can see by the shot map, that makes a lot of sense. So the goals as they came in, 15th minute. Ali Giroud, let's go ahead and listen back to it. That's a good ball. Brilliant from Jorginho into Giroud. Can he get the shots up here? Kicked away by the Reese Barkley. The follow-up hits the woodwork. Back for Giroud. Chelsea ahead. Olivier Giroud back in the team. Comes up with a big, big goal for the Blues. Next one up was Marcos Alonso with the sweet left foot one-timer. Nicely taken by Mason Mount. On for Barkley, cleverly moved it on one more for Alonso! What a goal! Marcos Alonso against Tottenham again. He finishes off what was a quite brilliant move. Stunning stuff from Chelsea. And then lastly, Antonio Rudiger again with the own goal, 89th minute. Thankfully, it was too late in the game, um, even though we had four minutes of stoppage time added. Here's Lamella there. Oh, it's deflected in. A very, very fortunate goal, but Spurs are back in it. That's an unbelievably bad goal for us to give away, to be honest. Anyways, Marco, let's jump into the first question from this match was, no Kane, no Son, no problem. Chelsea, Looked so confident and composed today. But going into it, there's a lot of bad hoodoo Chelsea were having to combat. Chelsea, as you unfortunately know so well, have lost seven home matches in all competitions this season. They last lost more at Stamford Bridge in a single campaign back in 85-86 when we lost eight. 
Nick had said we won what four out of our last fourteen. Isn't that yeah, the stat? Yeah, going into this, yep. So again, not really riding high going into this one, but here we are. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I don't know. It's <laughs> I mean, you, you just know what's going to happen next week, don't you? We're going to lose to Bournemouth. <laughs> <laughs> just, that's it's a just, way, though, Marco. It's a way. So yeah, I know, but that's the way we rolled. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just think Frank had to change something after Monday night um, because VAR aside, it, it, it was poor. Um, you know, it was discombobulated. The, the, the team wasn't organised. They weren't pulling together. Um, he had to make some changes. The Kante thing, obviously, was was kind of a forced change. Um but yeah, you know, he made some bold moves and, and they paid off. Um, and that's what he's paid to do. You know, he's the manager. Um, I think, you know, he's been coming in for a fair amount of criticism as well, uh, you know, that, that we, we've seen. And I guess looking at, you know, the results and the form, you could argue, well, you know, is some of that criticism justified? Does he know his best starting eleven? All those questions you could probably say, well, maybe he doesn't. Um, however, he had to pick a team to do a job yesterday, and he did just that. So, you know, going back to the point I made earlier, I saw that team sheet and I knew people were going to pull it apart, but I thought, do you know what? He knows exactly what he's going to do, and he's got some solid pros in there who um, know what they're doing. Uh, and you know, Marcus Alonso owns Tottenham Hotspur Football Club anyway, according <laughs> to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you know, it, it, it's great. Um, I love I'm it. I'm fine with it. Yeah, I mean, Nick, not only. Did Frank get a massive performance? I'd say from you know everyone really. Yeah, I think the levels yeah. are stepped up. Obviously, the the two that you'd expect to maybe need more time to adjust in this match would be two players who really haven't played much, some really at all this season. In Olivier Giroud, Marco Salonzo, uh, Giroud though has been directly involved in 14 goals in his last 14 starts for Chelsea, amongst all competitions. Ten goals, four assists. Thank you, Opta Joe, for the silver lining there. What were your thoughts on one or the other? Uh, I'll, I'll take Giroud. I'll let Dan go and Alonzo. I, I, I'm so fucking pleased for Olivier Giroud. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that's been underutilized this year, uh, has had to bide his time, thought he was getting a move, didn't get a move. Uh, I've always loved the way that he's played for Chelsea. I think he's strong. I think he's good in the air. I think he's a great passer. He's probably an underrated passer of the ball. And for him to get a goal after having the one ripped out of his hands from VAR on Monday uh, to, to continue to prove why he should be getting shouts, especially with an injured Tammy Abraham uh, on the bench. I, I'm just so pleased that he had such an impact yesterday. And, and I think it's hard to understate Dan how impressive that was given that he hasn't really played at all this season. I would say the one thing is he did benefit from 
I think two, maybe two of the slowest center backs in the league at the moment in Alderweire Halden for Tongan, who are just, I, I don't know. They, they are, were wearing cement shoes at certain points, but again, Drew's is a selfless player. He put, puts others in a position to be successful. He combines really well. He brings others into play. You know, he helped make Barkley look better in this match, even though I think Barkley played very well. I mean, he, elevates the game of those around him and I think it's a really great thing I I know you know Nevin also commented on that with him in the post-match interview on the the fist stand app and I think Giroud just pivoted back to the fact that you know it's great that he's got those good things but you know he's just excited that the team's playing well that they've rebounded and you know he's a pro's pro and if he was content being a third choice option I think he's a player you would want to carry even into next season because he just adds, I think, additional levels of professionalism and maturity to this side, Brandon, that, you know, is kind of needed with the way that the squad is balanced right now where there are so many young players. Very true. I mean, this worked out well, especially when you just match everyone up. Drew's able to hold the ball up and kind of let the rest of the team catch up to him. We saw that today. It's not something we've seen a whole lot of with Tammy and none with Mishi. So again, just things really clicked into place. Um, but I mean, how excited is you know Giroux when he comes to this? And we can even play the quote here. Again, this is in the fifth stand up. If you're not consuming all of the content that comes out after a match, like you're missing out. Uh, so again, here's what Olivier Giroux had to say after scoring his goal. I took a lot of pleasure on the pitch. It's been a while, you know, uh, almost three months after my uh, my first my um, my last um, starting. So yeah, I hope to make uh, Gaffer decisions harder and harder. <laughs> it would be nice for the team because we need competition to uh, all step up, you know. And uh, obviously, yeah, for uh, on the personal uh, side, I felt frustrated after the um, VR um, on Monday. Your feet are too big. Yeah, some of my friends said you should wear 42 instead of 45. But yeah, yeah I, I was very pleased to help the team to win this game today. It was uh, such a special moment for me. And um, yeah, I, I hope that the start of an uh, uh, um, um, exciting end of the season. I love it. He took a lot of pleasure playing with these boys. Dude just wants to play. And I think that is what it's, what it's all about. I mean, Marco from a fan's perspective in the stadium. How does Drew's work rate and just his effort today come off for you all? I think every, I think everybody was uh, you know, really impressed from the start by you know his movement. I mean, as you said, he was kind of up against a couple of fairly ponderous uh, centre-backs, but take nothing away. You know, he, he was um, really moving uh, as 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 we had the press high up the pitch with, with the wing backs, he, he was just everywhere. He held the ball up well. Uh, he was always looking for it, moving, taking defenders out of position, um, taking players with him. You know, I mean, the man's a World Cup winner and, and it is it is bizarre, in 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 especially in light of, you know, Chelsea's recent struggles um, up front with the Batshuayi thing. Um, quite why uh, Frank didn't deploy him earlier it, it re- remains remains a mystery and you know full credit to Giroud you know he's, he's a consummate professional um, he could have thrown his toys out of his pram um, you know 
clearly, you know, there was a, he was going to go to Inter Milan, wasn't he, in, in, in the January transfer window at one point. The deal looked done, didn't happen. Um, clearly, you know, he's 33 years of age. Uh, it's the Euros this summer. He wants to play for France, but, you know, he obviously needs to be playing first-team football. Um, and the fact that he's, you know, come in, done a job, um, uh, an admirable job for Chelsea, uh, it's fantastic. And I think everybody, you know, love Tammy, love his enthusiasm, um, but he's still learning his trade. And, you know, sometimes the, the, the kids just need to sit and learn. And I'm sure Tammy would have um, picked up quite a lot from watching Giroud the way he played yesterday. So it was fantastic. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the, I think the general consensus is is he, he needs more game time, you know. Um, Tammy's got his whole career in front of him. I, I don't know what I don't know what the plan is for the Munich game on Tuesday. That'll be interesting. Um we've got quite a lot of football coming up with uh, Bournemouth and then Liverpool uh, the following week. So yeah, you know, let's see. Uh but yeah, Giroud, round of applause, sir. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And then the other one, Alonzo, um, which, Dan, I have to let you narrate this because, Marco, we followed your roller coaster of emotion with Marcus Alonzo <laughs> via Twitter throughout this match, and it ended in elation. Here's the thing. I think anyone who knows Marcus Alonzo and knows Tottenham Hotspur should have been putting money on this because it was probably the most guaranteed thing you know, that – was going to happen in this match that Marcus Alonso was going to score. But I, I appreciated Marco, and I'm going to narrate it here. Uh, you, you had the initial tweet saying, uh, it's really, it's, it's Marco's bets of play in five tweets. Uh, first, you won't talk me out of beating, uh, of betting on Marcus Alonso to score today. Then you lead with a, it's a sign, fingers crossed, football emoji with a Marcus Alonso printer uh, banner outside of the stadium. Then you go with the sizzler from Alonzo, close to paying for dinner tonight. Giroud already paying for drinks, so we were excited for you already. Then there was the celebration with the Alonzo goal and the, oh, yes, I love you. And then <laughs> the final part of the story to put the cap on it, the Marcus Marcos Alonzo runs down the wing for me. I love it when a bet comes together. And uh, yeah, what, can we, what else can we expect from the individual who has 17 goals 28, uh, sorry, 28 uh, total goal involvements with the 11 assists when you kind of add that in there, more than any other defender in the league since 2016, and then three of those goals have come against Spurs. Yeah, he's, he's uh, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I know you guys, I mean, I don't follow uh, American football, but I, I watch it sometimes, and I know you seem to have these specialist kickers who emerge from from off the bench every now and again <laughs> to to earn a fortune and kick a field goal or whatever you call them. Um, it's kind of Alonso, isn't he? Just like goes into hiding for months and then emerges to uh, destroy Tottenham. It's brilliant, um, you know. And he's still he's he's only twenty nine years of age. You know, a lot of people wrote him off. There was kind of a, a stupid agenda against him um, last season. You know, it's horses for courses. And when it comes to this particular system, you know, he, he's, he's a player. 
he's a baller. He knows what to do and he'll traumatise defences. Um, he'll also put the work in um, and he's just perfectly suited to this system. Um, so, you know, if Frank's going to play it um, for the, you know, forgetting the Ben Chilwell thing for the time being, um, he's Alonso's the specialist for, for this for this type of uh, setup. So, yeah, great, great player. Similar to Giroud, you know, model pro. Um, you know, Tottenham fans obviously staying classy yesterday, booing Alonso um, and, and also booing Rudiger every time he touched the ball because of the, um, you know, the incident in that first game of the season up at um, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, as it's called. So, you know, to, for, for a player to have to put up with the abuse he gets from his own supporters and, and from opposing supporters and turn in a performance like that, Get, get, gets me every time. You know, I love the bones of the fella. That, that has to be an incredible goal celebration feeling when you can run in front of the Spurs fans and just give oh. them a little, give them a little back, you know? I, I a little mustard on that one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Exactly. I, I think the one, there was one comment I saw and I, I don't remember who put out the tweet, but I really enjoyed it when we had the free kick outside the box near the end where Alonzo knocked it off the post. Um, but there, it was him and Williams standing over it, and someone said it was the uh, the he hate Tottenham uh, face off <laughs> <laughs> between William and Alonso to see who who hates Tottenham more because it yeah, yeah. Uh, it seems like it's a bit of a competition between those two, and I don't mind it. I like the idea, Brandon, of multiple players on our team seething with hate and unbridled passion and desire to just you know destroy this team. And make fun of them each time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll it'll never get old, will it? It will just be, you know. We heard that we hate Tottenham chant, you know. Unfortunately, you know, Alonso doesn't have one that's specific for these occasions. But that's all right because every time the Spurs fans hear Alonso's name uh, being sung, it just has to rile them up. Nick, interesting thought. I actually, just saw Joe Tweeds ask this as well. Should we stick at a back three until our wingers, Calum Hudson-Odoi and Pulisic, are healthy? I'm considering the fact that we have healthy center backs, midfielders, and wing backs. This comes from Squints on Discord. And Tweed's even asked about, you know, without Conte, does this the way to go? I I think it might be, and not because I'm I'm, you know, just trying to be a more defensive, you know, minded person right now with with some of the gaps that we've had. But uh, Joe Joe made the excellent point, and it's one that I thoroughly agree with, which is Mason f- is really freed up in this front three scenario where you know he's not crowded out by you know a three in front of a one he has a lot of room to run at defenders he has a lot of room to make uh really key passes and I think you've you've seen him twice against Tottenham Marco really own the show uh up front and and really start to dictate the play and you know if if that's where Mason is finding the most success and you're able to get Kovacic and, you know, whoever else from a, a front three perspective involved, that could be a recipe for success. I mean, we, we didn't have the most possession yesterday for the first time in a long time, and maybe that's okay. Yeah, I, you know, Mason Mount, I was, I was watching him off the ball, and, uh, you know, there's, he just reminds me of, I know kind of 
Lampard probably sees himself in Mason Mount, but he, you know, he's injured for tech. He just runs and runs and runs and he gets kicked from pillar to post. The abuse he gets from um, opposing players is, is pretty, you know, pretty brutal because he's still a young lad. Um, but, you know, he, he just presses uh, and you can see he's just, he is, Frank Lampard's eyes and ears on the pitch. He's not, he's not leading the team yet, but you know he, he's doing everything that the manager wants him to do um, for ninety minutes. Doesn't let up. Doesn't give up. Head never drops. Um, keeps going. And and you know he did he didn't score yesterday, but he's you know he's got a goal against him, a goal in him as well. So it's brilliant. Yeah. No. Well, look. We're, Let's definitely get into more of our midfield uh, in just a second, but we're going to take a quick break. Thank you to these sponsors for financially supporting the show. We appreciate them and letting them do more for you as listeners. We'll be right back. All right. Well, we can continue on with this discussion about Kovacic and, and even Mason Mount. I mean, you know, two of the players have kind of been out in the cold lately, maybe fan sentiment wise, but rather might do the work that goes under the radar as we've talked about, especially with a non-goal scoring midfield, which we tend to have recently. Uh, these guys were firing on all cylinders. Mason Mount, Mateo Kovacic were phenomenal, even if they weren't on the score sheet. Mason had a good shot though, low to the near post. Um, you know, Mateo Kovacic's numbers, Nick. Um, actually, I'll go to Dan because Dan is a numbers guy. So I'll save you. Oh, from I, this I one. love numbers. We should we shouldn't like we should finish on Mason Mount because because I think he deserves a lot of credit. Uh, I think Frank had the commentary afterwards saying, "I hope Mason's performance gets digested properly today." A lot of people talk about Mason. They look at the, his goals, the work rate, and the sharpness in his game today was unbelievable. And I just love when he he was bodying up players. He was, you know, getting a little bit of kind of elbow action going in there. He was pressing consistently. I don't think there's many players. I think maybe Kovacic is one of them on this team. Conte, when he's fit. Mason just seems to have energy for days. And this is a guy who hasn't missed a, a match really this season uh, outside of, I think, a little injury there. I think it's about 35 out of now 36 appearances possible. It, it's just insane in terms of the amount of minutes he's played this season, his continued sharpness, and he did go through a little bit of a, a, a rough patch at a point in the season, uh, Nick, but I think ultimately like he... He was over everything, and just the the quality of the runs, his ability to get inside. I mean, when you have Giroud up top or you have a striker who's going to allow you to play off or feed off on, Mason just has the pace to push ahead and really move us into that final third much quicker than we've been getting in previously, which gave us space to then try to go after the goal. Yeah, it seems to me, and maybe this is just following up on my previous point, but it seems to me like when he has room to run at defenders and uh, and allow himself a little bit of time to look up. His, he's able to pick a pass in the final third a lot more convincingly than uh, maybe some of the quicker interchanges that you know get crowded out uh, in the box. And so I think you know if, if Frank's looking for a, a winger option, and we know that Jorginho and Kovacic are going to own the midfield here for a little bit, it's very likely and plausible that um, for, at least for me 
that, you know, Mason Mount would be one of those guys until we have some healthy players and, and maybe William or, or Ross could fulfill that other role. So it's a, it's a bit of an interesting one because it's not what we would have predicted, but you know, I think it's a really good shout for Mason. Well, obviously, you know, uh, I love the ball in from Alonzo to Mason to get that shot off in the in the first half and his confidence to go there. So I think also his runs off the ball tend to, um, you know, he's got great vision in that sense, Nick, because I think he knows the passes he's looking for if he were in Kovacic and Jorginho's spot. Um, so he's going to try to put himself in a position to receive it. The other one being Mateo Kovacic, uh, thank you to Naz, great friend of the pod, Goal.com contributor. Uh, here was Mateo Kovacic's passing masterclass today by the numbers. 77 passes, 69 of them completed, which gives him a paltry 94.8% pass completion. Not only that, 42 of those 77 were passes in the opposition half. So very attack-minded from him today. And then his pass completion in the opposition half was still 90.5% with two key passes. He was the highest in every category for starting player in either team. And again, he's playing alongside Jorginho, who we know will run from the center back, split him, get a pass, and run with it. I think that, you know, Marco, when we watch on TV, we only get to see what the producers show us. When we are at Stanford Bridge watching like you were, you get to see the entire picture the whole time. So again, from the stands view, Mateo Kovacic, what was that like? I think, I think like Mount, um, again, you know, s- sitting in the ground, you, you can kind of see um, what he's doing off the ball, um, you know, running into positions, um, just, you know, kind of the, the, the ways approaching the game Um like Mount, you know, with those those two players um, keeping the press on the opposition, um, it's you know it's it's exciting to watch. You know, it's it's great. It's a great atmosphere generator in the stadium to see players um, winning the ball, winning the ball back, and getting passes away with the degree of um, preciseness that, that, you know, Kovacic was, was getting off on yesterday. And, you know, that's, that's why that's, you know, it's entertaining. That's what it is. Um, and, you know, in, in fairness to Kovacic, you know, he, he kind of, it was a strange one last season. You know, if, if Chelsea hadn't been in the transfer, hadn't had the, to contend with the ban, um, and had the and had you know with the option to buy Kovacic, I'm not entirely sure if if we hadn't had the ban, whether they would have pursued um, you know signing him uh, because you know it was kind of up and down last season and on and off with Barkley, yeah, um, and you never kind of really saw what he was capable of, but. You know he's kind of been unleashed um, by Lamp. You know we we kind of saw, you know the joke was laid to rest about him not scoring a goal, um, and he, and he's an altogether different player. But again, you know sort of harping and, and the same with Mount. It all goes back to this question about um, and love him to bits and Golo Kante. Um, it's. It, 
Kante, Kante present creates a problem for the rest of the team in that whole midfield conundrum um, because of you know you kind of feel if if Angolo Kante's fit you kind of feel obliged to play him because he's one of the best players in the world but um, I don't know it's a strange one uh, it is. You know, I mean, there's, you know, there's even been suggestions and discussions this season that, you know, if Real Madrid were to stick a hundred million on the table for him in the summer, given he's, I think he's 29, isn't he, Kante? Um, should should Chelsea take the money and, you know, spend it on something else, uh, somebody else? I don't know. Um, you think we've got Conor, Conor Gallagher to to learning his trade he's another mid you know dynamic midfielder um you've got billy gilmore it's 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 a cluttered area but right now you have to say that you know chelsea play good football with maybe just kovacic and jorginho um in in that you know pivot or whatever people call it um, just that you know those those two guys working off each other with Mount and Barkley as well. That that worked sweetly um, yeah. yesterday. Uh, what a scary thought, though, losing two of your your only two world class players in back to back seasons. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. Well, I mean, we we the, there is no shadow of a doubt. I mean, I know he struggled with fitness and he got injured again yesterday, didn't he, Hazard? And I don't think, you know, he's, he's clearly not having a memorable season uh, for, for, for Real. But as far as Chelsea are concerned, you know, what, what he brought to that Chelsea team is what Chelsea have been missing this season. And, you know, you, you look at those games that we've lost at home um, and the teams that we've lost to, you know, an Eden Hazard playing in those Chelsea teams. And I, I guarantee you, uh, you know, defeats would have been draws and draws would have been victories in, in, in my humble opinion. Um, yeah. And that is, you know, we need a player of that calibre at Chelsea football club fact. So that is, you know, we need to sign a player of that calibre in, in the summer, um, it needs to happen. Um, you know, losing Kante, I don't know. Uh, you know, to, to reiterate the point, he's, he's not getting any younger. Unfortunately, I'm of the opinion that Sari uh, ruined him. You know, he's just prone to injury now, um, which is unfortunate. Um, I, I don't know. And then, you know, and then just, just to, Further complicate the, the jigsaw puzzle. Ruben's coming back as well, so right. you know we, we kind of got. I think we're good for midfielders um, that, that that can do a job for for Lampard and for Chelsea Football Club. So yeah. I, I'd, I'd take a hundred million for Kante in, in the summer. Um, put another hundred million to that, and I don't know. Find the man. I'm sure yep. Frank's got his eye on somebody that's going to be the next Eden Hazard. I would quickly revert back to Kovacic and, and you know, we can move on after this, but I, I quickly want to say that he drove everything yesterday. He was the engine. He was dominant. He 
didn't uh, he he glided through Spurs midfield so effortlessly at times that it it made you wonder if Spurs were really playing seven people in the midfield or not. I mean, because they really were. That was kind of their whole game plan, and and really just you know I think there's there's so so much special uh, play from him right now that uh, you you would hope that it continues to the end of the year and that he's rested enough to to make it happen because. He was uh, he was damn near special. Well, I think to that point, Nick, um, you know, you look at the fact that the the defense played so well with that back three to continue pushing forward and making it a really short pitch for us when we did get the ball back. And I, I think the one other individual player that we probably need to call out before we go into everybody's favorite topic, uh, a little three three letter acronym. Um, Andreas Christensen, the masked man, Brandon, I think he was exceptional in the game, especially after kind of finding a way back into the side, even with his, his broken nose. But I mean, he just he looked composed. He is definitely in a back three so much better than in the back four. Definitely shows his composure, his ability to kind of track down. And, you know, I think the the only question or mark is still around some of the physicality within his game. But he played very, very well in this match and, and probably, you know, beyond Mount, Giroux, Kovacic. I, I mean, again, just another some of the parts situation. He was a very, very bright spot in that back three. Playing in a back three is a lot easier than a back two. He's flanked by two experienced center backs on either side. I thought he was good, but to be honest, sw- playing sweeper is the easiest defensive position to play. You're literally the last man back. He, he read the play well. There were times when Tottenham's midfield or whatever they attacked with would pull. They were at the top of the box and then they were dancing and we had no answers. And obviously we got lucky on a couple times um, where they missed. Willie made a good save um, or Tottenham just took one too many touches. But I felt like there was definitely times I feel like when they're in a back three, they don't know who should step when we get really tight in. Um Look, he's composed, but I t- it's just it's easier. Like there's a reason David Luiz can get away playing that position because you're less involved. There's less opportunity for you to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, he did the job that he needed to. I would just be concerned of putting him back in the, this lineup and like being one of our top two center backs because he had a good day in a back three. Um, he still had struggles, I think, playing in the Premier League at a back two. So long story, we just have to see where – Frank wants to take the team and if if he fits in with that. So, um, again, job well done. Um, but I'm still not convinced that he's the future center back for, for Chelsea. I mean, he showed real guts and courage yesterday, though. Like, I think that has to be stated and, and, and appreciated. Not only was he more physical than I would have anticipated with a broken nose, but I think he was just really good passing out of the back, especially when stuff got a little dicey there at the end. Um to me, you know, it's it's been a really pleasant surprise of our season that Andreas has come back and, and really fought for his place. And I think it should be uh, commended because I did not, uh, frankly, see yeah. that coming. Agreed. Well, again, it, he had a really good day out. I'm just giving it context of we haven't always seen that. And also if back, you know, back four where two center backs is a long term play for Frank. That's where I would be concerned. But we've seen him be successful in a back three under Antonio Conte. And again, this season with with Frank. So, again, it. I'm just saying it depends on what the formations go a long time. And maybe he's like in a Marcos Alonso, like Marco said, right? 
if you had wingbacks, Marcos is brilliant. If you play in a black back three, Andreas Christensen can be brilliant. Brandon, Brandon, this is supposed to be celebratory. This is supposed to be about beating Spurs and doing the double over them this season. You you are bringing too much seriousness into this topic. <laughs> hey, <laughs> you, asked, you asked for an opinion. Anyways, we'll move on. We'll move on because I'm sure I'll probably get plenty of comments on the old socials on that one. Uh, but lastly is kind of um, what's interesting because the whole post-match conversation, <laughs> to be fair, usually you have two managers saying two completely different things because one won and the other one lost and they have to define and say why. Uh, but this one was interestingly intertwined with the VAR. And obviously it was all about Giovanni Lo Celso and him being the luckiest man alive uh, to, to not be sent off and how a, an official in the middle of the field, two assistants, a fourth official on the pitch, and then Stokely Park looking at it in slow-mo. No one deemed this to be a red card. Uh, was just mind-boggling uh, at that oh point. God. Obviously, Barr came, Barr came out and said, hey, we made a mistake, but we're not going to go ahead and provide retrospective action on it because, well, why would you? Um, I just – it's got to be super frustrating for you in the stadium, Marcos. You just sit there with a static screen. We're sitting at home watching it from all angles – yeah, um, I, well, I, what I can tell you is, um, I mean, it, obviously it, it happened twice against Manchester United on Monday and yesterday. Um, so where where we sit in the stadium, we're kind of on the diagonal, on the wraparound between the Matthew Harding stand and the East stand. So we've got a diagonal view of um, the pitch. It's great. However, if, if the play's up at the shed end. Um, so take Giroud's goal, for example. Um, I mean, it worked out in our favour this time, but, you know, it's kind of like we go through the whole roller coaster ride of emotions, celebrating the goal. Um, the, the players go back to the halfway line to reform for kickoff. And then one of the lads goes, oh, fuck, VAR. And we look across and there it is on the screen, you know, VAR checking for offside or however it's worded. And you just, uh, it just like sucks the life out of you. Um, you know, the the incident, the Lo Celso incident um, was kind of, you know, you kind of saw him go flying in, but you don't have the benefit of replays. Um you just kind of go in on, you know, what people are saying and just looking at your phone and seeing what people are saying online. Um, you know, the, 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 the whole thing. And, and I think, you know, the point was made and obviously I've seen it on television after and I've listened and I've heard Frank Lampard speaking about it. Um, you know, what was Michael Oliver doing? It, it was just, it was a straight red, um, he seems you know, kind of non-bothered the entire match. He wasn't. Well, I don't know. Was and, weird. He, and he's quite. It, it tends to be quite a prima donna, doesn't he? Um, yep. Michael Oliver. I must admit, when when he was announced as the main match official, it, it was like, oh no. Um, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I don't know. Like you say, I, he was. I don't know. He was. Yeah. He didn't, didn't, he didn't really look. Um, don't know. Maybe, maybe his girlfriend finished with him. Maybe he was having yeah. a Kepper moment. I don't know. 
Marco, this was a tragedy in three parts, right? I mean, the first the first thing is Lacelso, outside of the red card challenge, should have been sent off for two yellow cards. Um, the kick out, which was uh, you know maybe not as egregious as the uh, Harry Maguire or Hyungmin uh, Son kickouts, but definitely happened. And then the later yellow that he received for uh, a high boot on Mason Mount, those were two yellow card challenges right there. The red card challenge, uh, not only was it, was he close to the action, so he should have seen it and taken action. He didn't award a card at all, yellow or red for the incident. The VAR system got it wrong, uh, and then apologized without any sort of retribution happening for Chelsea. And then the most damning part of this for, for everyone is that the monitor is five feet away from you. It's right there. The incident happened right by the bench where the monitor is. All he had to do is go look at it. And, you know, the, the obvious nature of the of the challenge was there for everyone to see. I, I mean, the fact that Azpilicueta did not have a broken leg is a miracle. And the fact that he finished the game is ridiculous. I mean, I, I just, I can't imagine being in Stockley Park, seeing that and going, you know, I don't know where else he would have put his foot. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's bonkers. But yeah. you would take your weight off it, right? If you're landing on someone, you would you, you just fall over, right? Except he decided to follow through with it, which is laughable on every standpoint. Obviously, Dan Lampard saying we're just standing there waiting for the red card to happen. It was blatantly obvious. Mourinho, opposite bench, didn't see it, huh, but did I, he? I, and I love, I love the photos of him directly looking at the stamp as it occurs in real time and trying to kind of play it off. Like he hadn't seen in the post mass press conference. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. And I just, no, you were right there. It was right in front oh, no. of you. And the, the, the absolute mind game and the mind fuckery that he kind of continues to have as his personal brand to shape the narrative because you know, he would be the one manager that would say something about VAR, which you are able to critique uh, you can't critique the match official in their decision, but you can critique far without getting fined. He would somehow, I think, Brandon, be the one manager who would find a way to get fined if he actually did call out VAR. Well, you know, it's it's unanimously not worth it. Um, I would kind of wrap it up like this, Marco. My opinion is I like VAR on paper. I hate how it's being applied with its level of incompetence and inconsistency, which is really confusing because when we did it in the World Cup, it worked. Everyone I, was on I, the same page. Like, this was a good way to do it. The match official is the one making the decision, not having someone not on the pitch with the players having these interactions just jump in cold and do it. But here we are again with a joke of a of a match in its entirety. And that poor chap, he was the one messing up the Man City Leicester match. No calls and calls. So he had a really bad day out. Yeah. I, I just I beggars belief that the the only the only league that seems to have any week in almost game in, game out controversy related to VAR is the Premier League. Um I, I I don't know. Um, as far as I understand that um, in 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 Italy, um, they're they're going to change uh, 
the way they do VAR next season so that everything will be done from um, a single centre for, for all matches. Um, it's like so, baseball here in America. Is that what you do there? Yeah, they've got everyone in New York City and then they yeah. run from there for all the matches. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if, if it was done that way and you instead of having a rotating panel of, you know, that, that guy, um, Coot, you know, having he's only been a pro ref for a couple of years. Um, and, and apparently he, he also made a, a duff call in the, in the late game because he was kind of on duty for the whole day mm-hmm. um, at Stockley Park. So, you know, uh, they, they should just get, I don't know, bring Howard Webb back. Um, just, you know, obviously apart from, from when Manchester United are playing, but <laughs> you know, they, they, they should just employ uh, a team of professional people who turn up at Stockley Park and it's the same people every week making the decisions. Right. Um, that's the only way, in my opinion, that, that you would get consistency because different people apply rules differently. You know, it's kind of what one man's leg breaking tackle is clearly another man's, um, well, I was just putting my foot there kind of challenge you know it's it's you know as as frank said it, it's not right it, it's there's too much at stake um you know the, i mean there's the, the big joke about liverpool and uh, and also you know united were one nil up today watford equalized got chalked off by var you know and, and people joke about these things but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I think what is it, Marco? The the VAR adjusted table has Liverpool, you know, within I think ten points or something. Not the twenty plus points that they are kind of ahead right now, and and not taking anything away from them because they no, have no, been of course the Premier not. League's best side. But still, it just shows the fact that this application of it has been imperfect to say the least, and needs a lot of refinement between now and the start of next season, so that. You know, whether it's the Clattenburg Command Center in Stokely Park and we get, uh, you know, you know, more transparency to it, more information about why the decisions were made post-match so p- people have, you know, an understanding yeah. and we can all develop a shared consensus around what the expectations are as it is applied. Because right now the inconsistency is maddening and it is absolutely going to be a multi-million pound mistake for someone potentially finishing in the four or five spot and getting to the Champions League this season that might not actually deserve it because they've been the beneficiary or the unfortunate individual maybe finishes seventh or eighth that should have potentially finished in a higher spot because it just wasn't done the right way. No, I think yeah, it's I mean, more just, just, Yeah, I mean, just, just, just one point to make on that. After, after the United game um, on Monday night, you know, there, there were people... I was walking out of the ground... Monday night, and there were people saying, "That's it. If this carries on, I'm not coming anymore because it's it's just wow. killing the game." And that's not a general consensus of opinion, but that is people genuinely saying that it's ruining the game. And I and I totally concur. You know, it's different 
not, and this is a different thing about, you know, the match going and the watching on TV thing. But, you know, if you're in the ground, you, you, you see it once. You might see stuff at half time on the screens, but you see it once. You don't get 10 different angles and, and five pundits telling you why a decision's been made or a decision hasn't been made. Um, so it's a, it's a lot harder to take when it goes against you and you can't understand why and it isn't explained and, and you've, you know, you've paid 50, 60, 70, 80 pounds for the privilege of, um, you know, being pissed off uh, <laughs> to put not too fine a point on it. And people, people were literally saying, that's it, I'm done with it. They need to sort this out or I'm done. I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to games. I've heard that on, you know, whether it's five live or, you know, talk sport and all these things of these, you know, match goers, you know, 30, 40 plus years. And they like, this is the the straw that's breaking their back is that this is, you know, ruining the match day experience. Obviously we have a little bit more information as international fans watching the broadcast, but it doesn't make it any better for us. So uh, wrapping this one up, we're going to leave it with the cherry on top because Dan doesn't appreciate a serious discussion to end the day. <laughs> Opta Joe tweeted two Frank Lampard's Chelsea are the first team to defeat a side managed by Jose Mourinho, both home and away in a single league season schooled. Now to be fair, <laughs> this is a very unique situation, but we're going to take it, put it in the bank and run with it because that is all that matters. And so with it, uh, before we get to the Premier League table, Dan of the match finally felt good enough to do one this week. How about that? Well, yeah, uh, I, I should have put in here as a write-in uh, the, the Frankie double, the double, double, double. Frankie's done the double uh, over uh, the wonderful Spurs manager. But uh, options were Alonzo, Giroux, Mason, and a write-in reply. Giroux shading Mason, 43.3% to 39.5. I would have given my vote to Mason, Nick, but uh, Drew, also a worthy winner. Ollie, Ollie, Ollie. Oi, oi, oi. All right. Well, you know what? The table as it stands, I just checked my phone. So we're recording while Arsenal are about to finish up with Everton. Right now they're leading. So if that changes, this table might change. Liverpool up top, 76 points. Man City second on 57 Leicester in third on 50, and Chelsea in fourth on 44. United are in fifth and 41. Tottenham sixth and 40. Then you've got Sheffield United, Wolves, Arsenal in ninth, as assuming they win. Burnley, Everton, Southampton, Palace, Newcastle, Brighton, Bournemouth, Villa, West Ham, Watford, Norwich. At the bottom, Marco, according to... Uh, Dan's little stats here that he pulled from 538, <laughs> but we're going <laughs> to put this on him. Yeah, I crunch it. And, and maybe they're, they're probabilities. They're not, you know, let, you know it's, it's a probability metric. 75% probability Chelsea finish in the top four. How, what is your probability meter right now? Yeah, uh, yesterday was massive. Um, I mean, it was kind of like, I know it was for fourth place. And I, uh, we, we used to laugh heartily at um, Arsene Wenger's obsession with finishing fourth and how important it was. Um, but sort of being in that zone now, you can kind of see where, where he was coming from. And yesterday was massive. If, we'd have, if we hadn't got that result yesterday, um, clearly you can see United have won 3-0 today. They've got a bit of momentum behind them. If we'd have lost, Tottenham would have been above us. 
um, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, ooh. Um, but I, I think we'll be fine. You know, it's kind of we're running out of games now. Um, if we would have lost yesterday, we would have been in sixth. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it can change, and, and I'm sure there's going to be a few little bumps along the way. But, um, you know, I think we're good. I think we're going to be okay. If Marco says it, I'm good with it. Yeah. <laughs> some some of our matches coming up really quick. What we play uh, Bournemouth, bottom, you know, near the bottom, West Ham near the bottom, Watford near the bottom. Uh, Palace are okay. Obviously, Sheffield United are way overperforming. Norwich uh, right before the end of the, the year. I mean, like, there are some incredibly quote-unquote winnable matches. Yeah, exactly. Now we know that we've struggled. We've struggled against some of these teams, to be fair. I mean, the, um, you but, know, really, the, 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 there's, the, there's, there's two games which you look at and you think they could be tough in terms of the league. And we've got Manchester City at home, um, you know, who knows where their heads are going to be at um, come March. Uh, and then there's that Liverpool game, but they'll, they'll be on the beach by then, as far as the league's concerned. Be playing the kids. Yeah, exactly. You know, especially if they're still competing in, uh, the, you know, the Champions League, which maybe they won't be. Um, but I think, you know, the results so far this season, um, if you look at the teams we've we've lost to, um, probably suggests that complacency. Looking at the fixtures, um, the ones that you've just mentioned there, perhaps isn't the way forward. Um, <laughs> you know, perhaps I think there's a couple of little twists in the tail to come, but I think that little cushion we've got of what is it, three points. Let's have a look. Yep. 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 Yeah. 44, to 40, 44 to 41 right Three now. points with 11 to play. You know, we've, we've hung oh, in there despite despite losing nine games. We've, we've hung in there. We're still fourth. So if you take, make the assumption that yesterday, the feel-good factor that that will generate um, will permeate deep into... Um, the, the, the players and the team uh, and fingers crossed we don't get any um, more serious injuries um, I think we're good I think we'll do it we'll finish fourth well to that point Lampard said after the match this needs to be the new level this needs to be the new yep. standard if we can play like we did this is the team we fell in love with at the beginning of the season high press make our opponents feel uncomfortable, play on the front foot, create a lot of chances. That's that's what we worked with, had a little bit of a lull in the late fall and their winter. Let's go on another run, just like we did early in the season. Take it to them, uh, lock up this top four, so that way Frank and the club can be best positioned to springboard this club into greater success. I just read Matt Law's article about how important it is for Chelsea to be in Champions League more than ever because our game day revenues are significantly behind those of our competitors in London and in the top four. So 
to be financially competitive. We need Champions League. We didn't spend any last summer this January, so it is time to splash the cash. Marco, thank you so much for joining us as always. Uh, thanks for having me on, guys. You are a champ. We can't wait to see Legend. you soon, hopefully, sooner than later as always. Um, we will plug the books in Gate 17 Publishing to our listeners. Of those of you who haven't you know, are not aware of it. It is the best way to understand the club from a fan's perspective and what their experiences have been over the decades as we are catching up. So we'll plug those. Nick, Dan, thank you, gentlemen. We're ending on a high note. Listeners, thank you for being here. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.